Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. All right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you're going to be joining us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation on how your spare change can really make a difference in the world of dementia. Uh, But before I introduce our guest, I always like to um, first do a few shout-outs. So one is to the Mark Arneson Band, who uh, did our opening song called Clarion Call. If you like that, you can go ahead and download that on any of your music platforms. Also, this is a live show, so you can go ahead and call in with any questions or comments at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So let me see. I am going to give a shout out to Artist Senior Living. In fact, I'm going to be doing a program for them this evening, which is 6.30 Eastern. That would be 5.30 Central, 4.30 Um, Mountain Time and 3.30 Pacific Time, and it's going to be a virtual program, which is free uh, on conscious, compassionate care for care partners, and you can register for that by going to theartistway.com forward slash care. We'd love to see you there. Um, Also, I want to give a couple of shout outs to uh, some caregiver groups that I am facilitating. One is Arthur's Memory Cafe. We get together the second and the fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Time. That is virtual, and anybody is welcome to join that. Also with um, uh, Brookdale Senior Living in North Oaks and the Shoreview Community Center, we have a caregiver support group that meets in person uh, the last Wednesday of each month from 10 to 11. And you can just reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer's Speaks to learn more about both of those. Uh, also, the Brain Donor Project is looking for your brain or brains of others. They can be healthy brains or not, um, but they need brains to be able to assess um, in order to help us find a cure. So please check that out. And then I want to give a shout out also to um, the uh, dementia research charity brace because they're having a global conference uh, called together for dementia november 2nd and we would love for you to join us uh, at that conference as well there's more information on alzheimerspeaks.com on that and then of course i have to give a shout out to dementia map our global resource directory which is growing every day it's perfect for people with dementia care partners, as well as business professionals and advocates. It's free to use. 
Uh, you don't have to give us any information to access information. Um, and if you have a resource product or tool, we would love to have you be part of the directory as well. Um, on there, you'll find things like the Memory Cafe directory, Coral Health, who is still allowing people to download two of their apps free, um, and the Foot Bar Walker, which we're going to hear from next, and then we'll be back with our guests. So hold on tight. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Footbar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the footbar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Well, we are back, and I can't wait to introduce you to our guest today. Um, we are going to be talking with Max Turkowski, who is a serial nonprofit and uh, social enterprise entrepreneur, and he is the founder and CEO of Investicure, a public benefit corporation building a community of spare change investors and R&D companies working together to help end Alzheimer's. So this is going to be a really fascinating conversation. And again, remember, you can call in with your questions or comments because we are live today. And that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So welcome, Max. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, uh, Laurie. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation and to spread the word of your work. Uh, but before we dive in, like I always do, I, I'm always interested to find out if you have been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. Uh, certainly. Um, you know, who hasn't? Uh, uh, I've, I've seen... Um, Close friends, um, their parents uh, hit by Alzheimer's, uh, people who have accomplished so much in their lives. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, uh, there's a, an artist I was very close with, Mark Kleonski, a painter, a brilliant man who was just, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to see a, a living genius uh, sink into Alzheimer's. Um, uh, loses memory, loses ability to function. Uh, it was just absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And uh, uh, this is probably the scariest thing that could ever happen to a person of intellect, um, losing our capacity and be, uh, to, to use our minds, uh, to remember, to function, uh, and become dependent on others. Uh, there's... Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tremendous horror that's hard to describe. 
I I agree. It is. Uh, it's it's hard to believe anybody out there hasn't been touched, and the numbers are only only growing. Um, let's talk about um, in, Investicure. What exactly is it, and what made you decide to launch it? Thank you. Um, well, uh, interestingly, um, Investicure did not start out with Alzheimer's. Um, it started with a discovery that I made as uh, we were battling uh, my daughter's uh, cancer. Uh, we, you know, my, uh, my daughter was uh, diagnosed with uh, osteosarcoma when she was 12. And um, in fact, uh, she recently passed away this year um, after a seven-year battle with osteosarcoma. But in the midst of that journey, uh, there was a drug that she needed, and um, uh, we were in the best cancer hospital in the world in Sloan Kettering, and uh, the uh, lead scientist on the drug was our very own oncologist, and uh, uh, the data was incredible. It reduced uh, uh, recurrence by 50%, and what we learned was that we could not uh, receive the drug because a small company that was doing clinical trials for the drug um, could not raise enough capital uh, to go through with the final clinical trial. You know, the data was there that the drug could be incredibly effective, uh, but uh, it was a financial decision uh, by a small drug company. And, um, you know, prior to that, I thought that drugs and potential medical interventions, right, were developed, uh, funded by, you know, by the National Cancer Institute, by, um, you know, in fact, Sloan Kettering, right, is one of the biggest uh, nonprofit cancer labs in the world. So if a drug is that good, why can Sloan Kettering do the clinical trial? Like, uh, you know, what is this, how did this tiny uh, company, right, fit into the mix, and what about the big pharmaceuticals? And as I began to study the process of drug development, uh, something astounding became apparent, right? When it comes to ideas, when it comes to what they call in the scientific realm basic research, right, something you would read in a magazine article about the next miracle cure for cancer, for Alzheimer's, that's funded by the government, by charities. It's called basic research. But when an idea is developed, we rely on drug companies to take that idea, to, to uh, uh, license it, and to do clinical trials, and in fact, even before clinical trials, to synthesize the actual drug, to begin animal trials, and uh, begin the very long journey of developing an actual intervention. And that's not done by nonprofits typically. That is mainly done by drug companies. And unless some drug company believes that they could make money from it, right, um, the most brilliant ideas, the most brilliant discoveries that could save millions of lives are left on the drawing boards. And hence, uh, Summary of the news headlines that we read about revolutionary new therapy never come to light and never developed because uh, 
they are stopped midway through. So I thought about this and says, what an interesting thing. Uh, when it comes to, you know, my background is in the nonprofit industry, right? Is uh, in educational nonprofits and, um, you know, I'm very used to the appeal to the heart and, you know, you have charities that are reaching out to, to uh, you know, uh, to, for a donation, right? Uh, and that donation typically goes to some university uh, lab and, uh, and the idea that would be developed by that lab would hit a brick wall because suddenly in the next process, we rely on Wall Street, we rely on investors uh, to, to take it to the next step, right? Nobody's uh, raising donations for those companies. And in fact, uh, as I began to uh, study the pharmaceutical industry, it became very alarming because sometimes pharmaceutical companies even buy patents on drugs, not to develop them, but sometimes they buy those patents because uh, they may conflict with other drugs they already have if, uh, if the new drug is better. Uh, the process that's driven purely by money, purely by uh, the profit motive, right, is, uh, uh, is deeply flawed. And I thought about this, and a brilliant idea came to mind. That time, there was a company called Acorns that was uh, taking the world by storm, which is with the idea of spare change investment, uh, targeting millennials mainly who didn't have money at the end of the month. And the idea was invest your, if you think you have no money, right, wouldn't it be reasonable to just invest your spare change from transaction roundups, meaning every time you uh, buy a, uh, a coffee for Starbucks for 480, right, everybody could afford to put away that 20 cents the roundup to the nearest dollar, right? And calculation is made, the uh, piece of software makes that calculation, the roundups, it puts that in a savings account, in, a, in an investment account. And the company became, you know, the Acorns proved that spare change investment is something could be very popular. When I asked that, I said to myself, well, what if we take the same idea, invest your spare change in a group of companies, but instead of, the profit motive, what if we turn to the millions of people impacted by disease and say, hey, let's buy stock in these small pharmaceutical companies that are doing early stage R&D, right, that are developing these brilliant um, projects, and we give them the capital to develop the projects, and in return, we own those companies, right? The spare change investors actually own shares in the companies. So if you can get hundreds of thousands, millions of people to invest based on their desire to see a disease cured, then you could achieve public ownership of drug companies where each individual person is investing just a small amount. Um, so it's not the money we need for our future not the money we need for our retirement funding, it's just our spare change, but collectively, we would be investing quite a large amount of money. 
right? Uh, Acorns got to a million users in just about a year and a half after launch. Um, you know, if we take a large disease like Alzheimer's, 70 million Americans have a relative with Alzheimer's, very large affinity group. We have the collective power, you know, if just uh, 2% of the affinity group become spare change investors, 2 million spare change investors, that's a billion dollars a year in annual investment in the space. That is 13 times more than the current level of venture capital that's going into the space. And what it would achieve is collective ownership of drug companies, right? By shareholders for whom the priority isn't making a profit because, hey, they're just investing their spare change. But the priority is moving vital projects forward. And that is how the idea of Investicure was born. And, you know, um, as we began to speak to scientists, leading scientists in the space, we, it resonated. People, um, uh, every scientist we spoke to joined our board, quite, quite, quite an esteemed board, um, told us that, wow, when it comes to a grant for university from the NIH, that's easy. But if you have a real idea that could change the world, that could cure a disease, getting a pharmaceutical company to back it, and raising money for that, that's nearly impossible. And um, we spoke to finance people uh, at MIT uh, who have been studying the, uh, the trend in the pharmaceutical industry. This is actually part of a global trend in the pharmaceutical industry going back uh, to, to, the, uh, to 1950. Every nine years, the, the risk of developing the cost of developing a single drug per billion dollars spent actually doubles, right? So it costs 50 times more in investment to develop a single drug today uh, than in 1950. And what that means is that pharmaceutical companies and investors are very reluctant to back innovative projects, right? Because there's a high amount of risk involved, right? If I told you, uh, you know, you, you can make an investment and um, there is a one in 50 chance that it will make you very rich, but 49 in 50 chance that uh, it won't come to anything. It's a bad investment. But if I tell you, um, you can invest in projects that have a... Uh, the best possible chance to uh, improve our chances of, improve, uh, of, of finding a cure for Alzheimer's. Every single project adds data, right? Gives us more information uh, and gives up, uh, uh, and brings us one step closer to a cure. That is a good deal. So that was kind of the idea behind Investicure and our, you know, and our journey with it. Well, I, I appreciate all that. I, I have so many comments. Um, first, I want to say I'm sorry for the loss of your of your daughter. Um, I can't imagine how difficult that is and how frustrating that was when you knew that there was a medication that could possibly have helped, but you just couldn't get it out there. And, um, you know, I, I think what you're doing is, is such an honor in terms of trying to change that for, for many, many families. 
Um, I find this a really interesting concept on, on multiple levels. Um, and, and one I want to ask you about is the new Biogen drug. But I first, I first want to get to a couple of the questions first um, and comments is, um, you know, some listeners might be saying, well, who gets to decide what projects, you know, we're going to fund on this? And um, how, how is the control really handled? I, I think most people are going to spot right off that the CEOs of, of these um, pharmaceuticals are probably going to be making the big bonuses that uh, some of these really large groups make. But I could be mistaken there. But I know that that's something that, that people wonder about. Is there control over that factor? And again, how are, how are projects uh, picked? So, um in terms of how projects are picked, uh, you know, they would be picked by the leading scientists with the help of leading scientists in a space, in a space within, the, you know, vetted by uh, by uh, by accountants and, uh, and and investment experts. Our you know, our, our chief investment officer has 40 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry. Investment. Our scientists are. Some of the leading names in the space, right? Um, the truth is, is that you need professionals picking the projects, and ideally, what you want to do is you want to back a diverse range of projects. You know, from the uh, every scientist uh, out there with an innovative project believes that there's only one problem in the world. Right? Uh, it's not a lack of money. It's the fact that their project wasn't chosen for investment, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're convinced that it's the best project in the world. The truth is, is that we don't know, right? Uh, we don't know who's right. We don't know who's wrong. Science relies on trial and error. Science relies on, on developing each hypothesis, testing it, for clinical trials, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, and adding to our, to, uh, in a transparent way to our knowledge of the disease. It's like solving a puzzle, right? The more projects move forward for clinical trials, right, uh, uh, the more information we add to our body of knowledge and the closer we are to solving the puzzle. So... Um, in terms of who's making those decisions, it's, uh, it, it's real scientists. They are the best in the space, uh, 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 allowing funding for every viable solution that needs to be developed and tested. In terms of the dynamics of the pharmaceutical industry, it's very interesting because when we talk about these drug companies, right, um, we are really not talking about big pharma. Uh, big pharma comes in these days much later in a project. What happened was that due to the cost, the high cost of early stage R&D, um, big pharma since um, the past 10 years has decided that they make a lot more money backing a project once it passes phase two of clinical trials, once the, uh, once, uh, uh, once the 
uh, a particular approach has proved to be effective. And they have greatly cut down on early stage R&D. The types of companies that are out there that are taking projects from academia and moving them forward tend to be, you know, scientists who are frustrated by the fact that their ideas are not being developed and have taken the brave step of starting a company and trying to raise money for investors for clinical trials and moving the project forward. So, um, because that's just the way those types of projects get done. And most spend um, 10, 20 years just trying to raise money to move the project to the next level. It is an incredibly inefficient project. Our idea is to, to now take that investment pitch from Wall Street, right, to the people impacted by disease, on the merits, on the scientific merits of whether or not a project should be based. And the main reason why we distrust, one of the most important things for us to remember, drug companies are owned by shareholders. A company is an entity that is owned by the people who own the stock. If a stock in a drug company is owned by hedge funds, by Wall Street, their primary responsibility, right, to the pension funds that invest in them is to make money. And hence, decisions will be made based on that point of reference. If drug companies are owned by a community comprising of millions of people who are investing just a small amount where the amount that they are investing is so small that uh, for them, uh, the main drive for investing is to develop a solution, then we achieve something remarkable. We achieve a public ownership of those drug companies where collectively we could set the rules of how, uh, uh, you know, of how the game is played. This is something that's you know, a remarkable opportunity for, uh, uh, for a disease space that could be achieved through equity ownership you know, of, uh, 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 of drug companies by an affinity group that is deeply committed to curing a disease. Well, and I can see how that can drive the outcomes very, very differently. Um, and, you know, I think myself, you know, I take my change and I throw it in a pot and every now and then I'll, you know, I'll go to the bank and, and get it back. And, you know, it's nice to get that extra hundred bucks, you know, after you save some, some change up. But, it, you know, it's not like I needed it or missed it for the most part. And I think there's a lot of people out there like me, um, you know, doing that. And if I could make a difference in this space, um, that I'm definitely passionate about that has affected my family and many, many um, dear friends as well. I, I just think that would be such a better use. And I was kind of flabbergasted at the number of, of members that you said ACORN had, had gotten in a year, a million, you know, a million people. You think you just multiply that by, you know, just a, a few people and, you know, a few hundred dollars, even if, 
if that's what their change difference is, and it's probably much more than that, um, I can see where that can add up really, really quickly and be empowering and, and cutting to the chase. I think one of the frustrating things for anybody with an idea is how do you how do you fund it and um, to really be focused um, and this is going to kind of roll into the whole biogen um, piece you know you had said it'll be you know the decision makers will be the experts how do we know something like that happened with the biogen where the experts didn't agree but it still got approved do you have any any stop holds for that, or is it easier to control in this in this fashion? Uh, yeah, I um, I just want to before I get to that question, I just want to make it clear that when we talk about spare change investment, we're talking about digital spare change. We're not talking about going to people's homes and getting mm-hmm. the actual physical coins. Uh, you know, the app uh, works. You know, the, the investment platform is very, works very simply. You connect your credit card, you connect your bank account. The system calculates your roundups automatically to the nearest dollar, and every time that, that hits $5, it simply makes an ACH transfer from your bank account. The system is, uh, is very rudimentary. It's, uh, spare change is, uh, uh, is, uh, is an idea, right? It's, that, it's a social contract where we can all agree that, Investing that roundup, right, is not a big deal. It's, uh, you know, it feels painless at the time. So, mm-hmm. but nobody's going around to people's houses collecting spare change. That would be quite odious and uh, <laughs> not very efficient. Uh, but uh, 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 getting back to, to, uh, to Biogen, uh, this is a very interesting thought, right? Um, uh, with Biogen, the FDA faced a real dilemma. And I believe that reason they face this dilemma is a clear illustration of the problem we face, right? Biogen's drug was the first serious contender in 18 years to pass phase three clinical trials. Now, currently, there are at least 300 different projects crawling slowly raising money, right, uh, uh, for, uh, for clinical trials or, or for, for animal trials in a process where instead of actually doing those trials, everybody is just running around raising money for 10, 15 years. Hence, what reaches the FDA desk in the Alzheimer's space uh, that passes all the hurdles is just one drug. And that drug is very problematic, right? On one hand, you have, uh, uh, you have a community that's desperately waiting for something. On the other hand, you have, uh, uh, you have a, uh, a single horse reaching the finish line. It's like, imagine you have a horse race, and, and just one horse, right, you know, all the other horses are stuck at the, at the start line, and one horse makes it, right? It's not a contest, mm-hmm. right? Who do you declare the winner, right? Uh, who, who, you know, if you have nothing to choose from. And the reason you have nothing to choose from is because of the slow pace of progress for all the other projects, not because the projects aren't there, not because there aren't brilliant ideas, 
that could be a solution, but because most of these brilliant ideas are just simply stuck. And, uh, and once you get something that get, approaches the, the, the finish line, people tend to bend their logic, uh, uh, you know, their, their, the hope to produce something begins to skew their, their, their rational thought process. And hence you have this controversy. Is it good? Is it not good? Right? Uh, uh, many, many pros and cons. I'm not going to comment on the science. This is one of the most controversial topics ever, and uh, um, it's, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's hotly debated by the scientific community, and uh, it seems that the, the data for the drug is, is quite weak, but, you know, with the, uh, with the only drug that the FDA had on their table in 19 years, right, 18, 19 years, it's, it, it's very hard for them to to deflect that pressure to approve the drug. You know, mm-hmm. the real problem we should be solving is, uh, is you know, uh, next year there should be 20 drugs coming up for phase three approval, right? Then you can comment and say that, you know, of the 20 drugs, this is the best and this is, should never be approved, right? The real issue is that there's just one drug reaching the finish line. That is... Uh, a symptom of a, a very problematic process. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to solve. Okay. And, and I, I agree. I definitely agree on that. And it has been uh, very interesting to to watch. I know just with all of the, you know, between the, the virus and the CDC and now the conflict with the FDA, I mean, I know the public is just getting weary with what is the process in our are we following rules? Is there rules? <laughs> you know, is this in the public's best interest? All of those things are, are coming into, into play kind of large and clear, I think, in just about any area you can think of these days. And um, so I find, I find this interesting, um, you know, basically with uh, Investicure to, to rally the forces together, um, you know, to, to invest. What do you think um, it's going to take to to find a cure? Do you, do you have a time frame at all? I know for the last, um, well, I've been in the space since '09, uh, and everyone's, you know, every five years there's going to be a, you know, there'll be a cure, there'll be a cure. That's what I keep hearing, um, and still we're not close. What are your thoughts on that? Well. Um... I think that uh, uh, anybody who says there's going to be a cure in five years, I really don't get uh, their understanding of the industry, right? But for that to happen, uh, uh, you know, take you, know, you would need to have projects that are reaching phase three, uh, uh, the end of phase three clinical trials. Currently, uh, the journey for any project is uh, you know, between raising investment and uh, and then executing on clinical trials, it takes 20 years for a single project to move forward. And frankly, we don't know whether we already have a cure, right? Uh, or, 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 you know, the, uh, or, or one is, uh, uh, or it's one of the projects that, 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 that didn't even make it to the starting line because nobody licensed it. Right. In order for us to um, 
to solve a puzzle, right? Uh, uh, you know, you need to have, you know, if you're, if you're trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, right, right, you can't do it if you're limited to three turns, right, every, uh, every month, right? It's going to take you a very long time. Sure. If you can make, uh, 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 if you're solving a Rubik's Cube, right, and you're going to, uh, and you could make uh, 100 turns uh, a minute, right, you're going to solve it in, uh, you know, in two, three minutes, right? If, uh, but if you can't, if you're handicapped, right, who knows? It could take forever, right? But the one thing, you know, I'm not a prophet. I don't, you know, and I'm not a betting man, right? Um, we simply don't know. What we do know is that uh, our job is to make sure that every viable solution gets tested, uh, adds to our body of knowledge and what we know about the disease, whether it fails or, or succeeds, right? Uh, the data from those tests should be shared publicly, and that is another innovation that would be possible if the companies are owned by the public. You know, the, frankly, the shareholders call the shots, right? If the, uh, 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 In the current uh, environment, one of the saddest things is that um, is that because uh, uh, investors are so hyper-focused on, 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 on safeguarding the financial value of their investor investment, they treat clinical trial data as a, as a business secret, right? But if uh, the same investors own all the companies in the space and if they primarily care about uh, 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 about finding a solution to a disease, we can actually mandate that clinical trial data uh, be shared by the entire community, right? And, 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 and ads and, and the way we are able to solve a disease, right? That would be a complete game changer. And we don't know how long it will take. All we know is that if we speed up the process, we have a good chance of... Uh, of solving it in the fastest possible way, maybe even in time, to help uh, our loved ones. Well, that's good. That's uh, that's good. Um, and I, I understand why you don't want to um, try to pin down a cure. I, I think that also gets old for those of us that are that are waiting for one. What are what are the next steps for Investicare? What's your roadmap for the next couple of years here with the with the program? Well, you know, uh, currently um, we, you know, what we are, what we built, right, is is an uh, is an investment platform, which is quite complicated. We had to get uh, um, uh, get through all the legal processes and and build a structure for it and uh, 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 and build a, a supportive scientific base, right? And right now we are currently our next step is to uh, is to raise money to complete and launch the program and execute on a three-year plan to, to uh, uh, you know, to um, reach two uh, percent of the of the uh, of the affinity group and generate a billion dollars a year in annual investment for Alzheimer's. To do that, our first step is to uh, you know complete our uh, uh, complete the platform and begin to market it. For that, we need supporters and investors. Um, 
We're also right now developing an interesting internal blockchain component with the uh, Acuro token, which is something that's very interesting that will help once the community is created of companies and, uh, and participants, right? It will allow them to, to, uh, to collaborate by participating, you know, rewarding participation in clinical trials and, and, uh, and sharing of vital healthcare data that helps scientists and researchers, um, you know, uh, advance projects, which is a very interesting idea in and of itself. But right now what we need are supporters and backers and to educate the public about the idea and to build this platform as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, how, do, how do our listeners get involved, you know, with, with Investicare? What would their next steps be well, if they wanted to, uh, uh, to get involved? We would love to hear from them, right? Our email is listed. As, uh, yeah, you could reach out to me personally uh, if you're interested in getting involved as a supporter, as an investor, or you have ideas for the project, I'm here to listen. Um, uh, my email is mtokarski at investicure.com, and I believe my cell phone is uh, listed as well. We are working on this nonstop because the sooner we get this uh, launched and built, the quicker we can actually make a difference in the space. Wonderful. So um, contact information is listed on the radio page, on the blog. Um, so wherever you, you are, you can find that. But again, I'll just repeat that. Website is investacure.com. And Max's email is m-t-o-k-a-r-s-k-y at investacure.com. And his phone number is 718-812-0779. Well, Max, this has been a really interesting conversation, and I wish you uh, nothing but the best. I would, I would love to see this really come, come to life, so I appreciate you taking time. Is there anything that we didn't cover that, uh, that we should before I let you go? I, I think we've covered quite a bit. Wonderful. I think we covered a lot as well. And again, uh, thank you listeners and thank you, Max, for your time and your your efforts and uh, your creativity of trying to bring something new that matters uh, to the arena of dementia. If you need to reach me, you can email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com or you can go directly to alzheimerspeaks.com, our website. Uh, I'm looking forward to our new launch as well, which is probably still another month out. Oh, my gosh, it just takes forever pulling those websites together. But we are working on it, people. So. Um, you know, keep coming to me with your ideas. If you want to be on the show, we're always looking for guests. So I would love to talk with you and share what you're doing. In the meantime, everybody have a blessed week, and we will be back again on Thursday. Thank you so much, and Max, thank you again. Uh, thank you so much, Lori, and uh, thank you to all the listeners. Bye now. <laughs>